Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for tuning in with this week's Led by the Word. We are in 2 Kings chapter 5 and chapter 6. I've noticed we've really consolidated down to less and less chapters. Mm -hmm. I can't help it. I feel like I'm learning so much and there's just so much to talk about and I don't want these videos being too long. Right. So, as again, 2 Kings chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, especially chapter 6, super short. Take a moment and read these before watching this video. I think you're going to you're just going to grasp a lot. It's, it's a wonderful thing to get into. Uh, what I want to encourage you, our free Bible course. Last month, I think it was 250 new people signed up for this. Unbelievable. And then Dad announced Sunday morning he's wanting to push for more prisons. Mm -hmm. And he said God gave him a vision of a larger-scale prison ministry and baptisms in prisons. Now, I know that's already happened with Oasis, where in, oh, I forgot, it was a South American country where they were watching Oasis, and they were baptizing men in trash cans. You remember that? Yes, I do. It's like 150 photos they sent us, but Dad says he wants to see that happening in America. So be praying with us, seeking God on behalf of that. And also, if you want this Bible course, 100% free. I'm turning this over to you, and we'll talk about this book at the end. Okay. So 2 Kings chapter 5, we start off right from the get-go, verse 1, with a man named Naaman. Um, if you've been to Sunday school, if you've read any of the Old Testament, this is probably a familiar story to you. But just for some history and preface, um, Naaman was captain of the host of king of Syria. Now, remember, Syria, not Israel, not Judah, not God's chosen people kind of thing, right? Like this is one of their enemies. I'm saying this because it's important. It's going to come up later. But so Naaman's kind of like captain of the host here. In verse one, it tells us he was known as, and I quote, a mighty man in valor right? So he was awesome in battle. He was, you know, very skilled. And um, it also says he was honorable, but there was a but. At the very tail end of verse one, it says, but he was a leper. And it's interesting that you're only as strong as your weakness here on earth. So even though he had all of these wins and battles and he was kind of like a conqueror, he was still known like, hey, you still have like an incurable disease. Like, Sorry about it. You're still a leper. So Syria had gone to war with Israel and brought forth some captives. And the fact that Syria is like an enemy of the Lord's people and this huge miracle happens, like it's a miracle in itself that any of this was <laughs> going through. Like, yeah, I'm like, what is going on here? So they had brought some captives over. And of those captives, it says there was a little maid. And I tried and I researched to see how young this little maid was. And they don't know. They just know she was very young. So she was brought into Naaman's house and was like working for Naaman's wife, basically. And she, I, the way she says this, it almost sounds like, have you ever like spoke a thought out loud? Like, man, I could really use some tacos right now. You weren't really saying that to anyone. You were just kind of speaking that into the wind, you know? The way she says this kind of sounds like she was speaking a thought out loud. In verse 3, she is actually talking to Naaman's wife, and she said, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So she sets this kind of thought into motion, right, with Naaman's wife. And Proverbs 18.21 tells us, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So by speaking to Naaman's wife, she kind of sets this whole thing into motion, this whole miracle. I'm not saying it's hinged on her, but this is the beginning. These are the steps, mm -hmm. right? So she says this. Obviously, Naaman's wife mentions it to Naaman, the servants, you know, etc. So they start this ball rolling. 
And I was telling Micah, I think it, it was definitely this week, maybe it was a couple days ago, how I've been catching myself kind of like a negative self-talk lately and how detrimental that is. And it made me think of what are we speaking in situations? So like in this situation, this young girl, however young she was, had been taken from her family. She was working in a stranger's home. Like, things were not going her way. These were not even God's people. Like, she was working for the enemy. I feel, you know, we put so much hinge on Joseph being used in prison because he does this large-scale thing. She does something enormous being used in prison. Yeah, really. Like, she's captive. She's captive, and I think this is an amazing story from her. Like, and, like, she's in this situation, right? And she just sees an illness. She's not looking at, well... Naaman's one of the higher-ups of my enemies. She's just like, man, this guy's sick. Mm-hmm. And she sees this and kind of has the attitude of, you know, a prophet of God, he could uh, he could take care of this issue, you know? So she spoke healing in the midst of the sickness, right? She spoke freedom from disease when she herself was been had been taken captive. I think that's really, that's why I think she is very young because she wasn't like jaded and cynical. She was just in the situation. She was like, man, God could really take care of this and set everything into motion. She didn't let her surroundings alter her faith in God. And that would have been a perfect opportunity to do so because, you know, had been taken captive and been like, hi, God, where are you? Like, I'm in a strange land. I'm serving strangers, you know, people that don't serve you. But she didn't let that get to her. She was just like, wow, God could really take care of this. So, of course, Naaman meets with or talks to the king of Israel and is like, you know, can we get this rolling? King of Israel gets mad, and then Elisha hears about it. He's like, okay, let's just let's just do this. You know, send Naaman my way. So Naaman travels all the way to Elisha's, right? And Elisha sends word to him through his servants. He's like, if you wash in the Jordan River seven times, you will be healed. And when I hear that, I'm like, okay, great. Let's maybe do that and, like, get healed, you know? But Naaman gets mad. The word they use in the King James Version was wroth, which is, like, super angry. He gets upset. So if you look into the history of it, this river is so much dirtier than the rivers he names. It is, yes. And it's like disgusting. It's our, um, oh, what's our North River? That's horrible. Like the Hudson? The Hudson. It's our Hudson for these guys. And he's like, I do not want to come to your country and get in your Hudson right now. (laughs) It says in verse 11, if I could just read it. It says, "Um, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So he went here with preconceived notions of how he was going to receive his healing from God. And we, oh my goodness, Mike and I were just talking about expectations yesterday. How expectations can ruin everything. Everything. (laughs) You come into a situation thinking, okay, it's going to happen like A, B, and C. And it does not even happen like that. It's numbers instead of letters. And you're like, what? (laughs) What is going on? And I hate this for Naaman because his anger almost cost him his healing. He turns to go away. He's like, I'm not dipping in the Jordan. He says in verse 12, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. So, and like Micah said, the Jordan was not known for being super clean. You know, in today's time, we hear about celebrities and pop stars getting baptized in the Jordan. We're like, ooh, chills, you know, but it, it's not super clean. It's not, you know, crystal clear. We're blessed that we live near really clean water, 
you know, we can go up to the mountains and see. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like, oh, cleansing waters, super beautiful. Let's bottle that at the source. No, like it, it was, was murky. It was disgusting. If yeah. you look it up, it wasn't like, oh, that's the river I want to swim in. Right. Or, you know, bathe seven times. So I understand to a point, like he's like, ew, what? You know, like kind of hesitant there. But um, they do stop him and they kind of call him out and they're like, well, just do this. So he does and he comes out. And it says at the end of verse 14, his flesh became again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And I wonder sometimes if we expect God to move a certain way, and he doesn't. Or, you know, we know the end of the journey, right? Like, we know God is faithful. We know God will bring us out of situations. But we have these preconceived notions of how God's going to do it. His ways, not our ways, you know? Yes, exactly. So I think sometimes we get caught up being like, okay, God's going to do this and this in exactly this manner. And we close ourselves up for like greater healings, greater blessings and a greater abundance. And like that was really convicting. I don't want to be a name and where I'm just like get mad because God's not moving a specific certain way in my life. Um, Something that really hit home to me and I was just like, oh, I'm bothered by this. Naaman. He's coming to Israel and he reaches out to the king. He's like, I got to talk to the king because I got to talk to God. Mm-hmm. The king has no relationship with God. Yeah, like none. It's none so at all. And one thing I want you to really be praying about, we can assume someone has a relationship with God and be 100% wrong. Mm-hmm. And something else someone can assume and hope we have a relationship with God when they need it. And that's where us as Christians, we have such a high responsibility to have that relationship. Because the king's like... Uh, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I know he's the God of Israel, but he's not really my God. Right. He gets pa- upset. He tears his clothes. Yeah, he like. tears his clothes. And Elisha gives him a big rebuke. And he says, S- I read a commentary that was terrible. And uh, the rebuke was this. Why have you torn your clothes? Why are you rending your clothes? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, Elisha's saying, don't rend your clothes for an enemy. No, Elijah's saying, Elisha's saying, you should have never been in this situation to begin with. You should have had a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. You had every opportunity to have the ability and and contact with God, and you've refused it. Why are you rending your clothes now when you still have the opportunity? Because Elisha was very, very stern with these men, and I thought that's so sad. So Naaman has an assumption that they're close to God when in reality they're not. But luckily there was an Elisha. Uh, How many are thankful for Elisha in our lives? So then we come down. Uh, how do you say this? Gazi? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Ge- Gehazi? 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 Yeah. Gehazi. So Elisha is building this group group of people that are studying ministry. Mm-hmm. And one of them uh, is standing there during all this. And Naaman's like, okay, I want you to take this much finances. So they looked it up. It's roughly $1.2 million. And Elisha has no issues taking finances to grow the ministry. But something about this point in time, he says no. Right. So Naaman, it's a little bit insulting for him. And there's already been some conflict between Naaman and Elisha because Naaman comes all the way to Elisha's house. And Elisha won't talk to him. Right. Elisha has a messenger going in and out the door to give him all these words. When he said, go and dip in the Jordan seven mm-hmm. times, that didn't come from Elisha's mouth. That came from one of these men. Right. So he says, um, I want to give you all finances. Elisha says, no. He says, I want to. You've made a big impact in my life. And Elisha says, no. So <clears throat> Gehazi chases him down mm-hmm. and says, I need two talents and also need some clothes. And Naaman's like, oh, absolutely. 
So he gives that to him, uh, gives him the talents. They said roughly, I didn't know this, he split it up in between bags for multiple people to carry. Yeah. It was 240 pounds. Wow. So Gazi tells the dude with him, says, listen, go to my house and bury it. We can't let Elisha know about this. So they come back, and Elisha says, did my heart not already go with you? So we don't know. I, I grew up a pastor's kid. So I don't know if this is a direct word from God, like God's like, Elisha, you need to deal with Gehazi. Mm -hmm. Or Elisha's just like, I know his character. I know his ways. I saw him running after the chariots. <laughs> this is just, this is what I expect of him. It doesn't give us direction. It doesn't say 100%, but he knows. And he says, this is your reward. Because of this, the same leprosy that was on him is now on you mm -hmm. and your children. And Gehazi instantly turns white as leprosy. And I thought that was such a sad, sad thing. Like, this beautiful story, this wonderful thing, this ministry group here, and then that's what has to happen to one of them. And I think if you just read through it really fast, it would almost be like, well, what's the problem with taking payment? You know, because Elisha did this miracle or whatever. Well, the Lord did the miracle, but Elisha was kind of the facilitator at that time. But it was specifically that he was working for this man of God, and this man of God said no. So already we had the disobedience. When he catches up to Naaman, he fabricates this story about, he's like, oh, my master, that's Elisha, was like, yeah, I need this, this, and this. And Naaman's like, of course, have double. He gave him double what he asked. So there was all this lies and all this deceit. He was putting words in Elisha's mouth that he did not say. So I think that if you take a moment, study this, it's not just receiving payment the receiving payment was not necessarily the sin that cost mm -hmm. him his health and his family's health it was the deceit and the disobedience and so i think when sometimes when we read through the old testament we're like man god's harsh or the prophets are harsh no like there was direct you know instruction and this man directly disobeyed it everything of elisha's ministries is it's stayed on theme it's stretching your faith mm -hmm. like we see he doesn't just give you a miracle like naaman's vision when, when we pray, we have these ideas of how God has to work. And Naaman's like, okay, he's going to wave a hand, and I'm going to be healed. But God does what he can, but he still leaves some of it up to you. Yeah. This is just an incredible story. These men, this ministry is growing. Mm -hmm. And if you go back, Elisha's master was Elijah, mm -hmm. and he asked for double portion. So if you remember when Elijah was the prophet of the land, um, so many prophets were getting slayed. Yeah. So Elisha wants a double portion. So Elisha's building back all the prophets. He's building back all the men and God of Israel. So the men come to Elisha, beginning of chapter 6, and they're like, Elisha, we're sleeping on top of each other. There's no space. I can't breathe. So-and-so's in my space. I, I just hate it here. Can we please go down to the Jordan, get some trees, and build more buildings? Mm -hmm. And Elisha's like, oh, that's a good idea. Do that. So they go down there. They're cutting all the trees down to build them some more space, adding more buildings. And one of the men, when the tree falls, his axe flips. And goes in the water. Mm -hmm. So he's in, it says he's in total panic. A lot of exclamation points in this verse. And he's like, I borrowed that axe. Mm -hmm. So if you look up the Hebrew of borrowed axe, it doesn't necessarily mean he brought it from someone. It means that it took all of his money to obtain that axe. Mm -hmm. Whatever it was, whether he borrowed it or whether the Hebrew and it meant that it took everything he had to get it. That axe is very, very financially important to this man. Yes. <laughs> so Elisha comes down. And Elisha, you know, he knows God. He's got this ability. Anything could happen. So he does this weird thing. He takes a stick, throws it in the water, mm -hmm. and then the iron floats. God could have made a wave. God could have made it just fly up. God could have picked it up with a fish and spit it up on dry land like Jonah. Anything could have happened. But we see God stretching faith again. 
God says, I'm going to do my part. It's going to float. But you have to do your part and go submerge in the water and get it. Mm-hmm. And we see this over and over. I want you guys to, I feel like God's trying to tell me or tell somebody this. We need to start praying different. We don't need to pray and say, God has to work this way. We just need to pray and say, God, whatever your will, whatever your outcome in this situation, I'm willing to work with. That's why it's important we pray in the Holy Spirit at times because we're praying in tongues that sometimes we don't even know what we're saying. Mm -hmm. And we're seeking God on behalf of situations we don't even understand. God works. So, you know, the axe is cool. Um, I think that's a cool part of the story. The stick really throws me for a loop. I don't fully understand what the stick means. Why did he throw the stick? Why didn't he just talk to the water? But I think the moral of this whole story is the ministry's growing. Mm-hmm. It's growing to the point where they're having to build buildings immediately. So we come down um, verses 18 through 13. If you guys know, I love, I love like 1970s TV shows on espionage. Uh, Elisha here is espionage. Mm-hmm. Like this dude, he's the king of Syria, says... How do they always know my moves? How do they always know my attacks? And Israel's not a godly nation at this point. But Elisha and God knows it's better for them to be in Israel than to be overcome by Syria and all their false gods. So Elisha's going to the king and giving him all these thoughts and processes and battle tactics of the king of Syria. Mm -hmm. So he does all this. The king of Syria gets mad and says, okay, we're just going to go kill Elisha. So they send a man in, and uh, I'm going to end here in just a moment, but I want you all to hear this prayer. And I I just, this has touched me like, this has built my faith huge this morning. I feel like we can do anything at Oasis Ministries. Elisha's standing there, and he knows there's this army coming to just kill them all. Elisha's not scared. You know, Elisha's done all these amazing things. He's not scared. So what's he going to pray? Is he going to pray for fire to rain down on him? Is he going to pray for this big army? Is he going to pray that all of his men become fast as him and fast as Elijah? Like, what's the thoughts? And all he says is when the army comes up to see and the scout comes up to see, he says, God, open his eyes so he can see the army that surrounds us. And it shows how important you are to the gospel. The man, when he opens his eyes, he sees all the angels, all the chariots, all the military. And he says, we are going to lose. And I I think we get so panicky because we look and say, this is me against this situation. There is no way I'm going to defeat this sickness. There's no way I'm going to defeat this uh, issue at work. There's no way I'm going to conquer this. The Bible plainly tells us we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we've got to change the way we look at our problems. We've got to change the way we look at our stuff and say, God, I'm not even asking you to open their eyes. I'm asking you to open my eyes to see how important I am to your kingdom. And let me see, I, I cannot lose with you. So uh, because of this, the men get blinded. Elisha prays blinded on them. He takes them to his king. And then the king is like, oh, Elisha, thank you. We're going to kill them all. Let's just kill them all. And Elisha says, you know that's not how we do prisoners of war. So he says, you feed them and you give them drink. And this, these rebels, you send them back home. So he does that and you think, okay, the king of Syria is going to get his rebels back. And the war is done. And the chapter gets far, far, far worse. Uh, The king hardens his heart more, just like the king of Egypt. And he says, that's it. We're going to go down to the city of Samaria that has walls. We're going to siege it. They're going to surround those walls, and they're not going to let any food in. Mm. And it becomes the most horrific famine I've ever read about. The head of a donkey is sold for 80 shekels. They're eating, they're selling dove dung. 
as their daily meals. It gets to the point to where one mother says, today, let's eat your child, and tomorrow we'll eat mine. So all this word, through this horrific time, it comes back to the king of Israel. And you know what the king of Israel does? He blames Elisha. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when God's moving in our life and the enemy increases attack, sometimes when God's breaking chains off of us and the enemy increases attack, the first thing the enemy wants to do is lie to us and say, this is God's fault. Mm -hmm. It is never God's fault. It is the enemy's fault. And you've got to never perceive an attack of the enemy in any way as God's fault in your life. True. Talk to us a little bit about that before we close. Definitely, because it's a whole mindset. Because if the enemy can convince you that God is not faithful, if God's word is not true, I mean, that's shaking the very foundation of your faith. You know, how are you going to receive your healing? How are you going to receive your deliverance from this situation? You know, it reminds me of when Ahab was blaming the prophet of God because he's like, this is your fault. And he was like, uh, no, it is not. Like, let's take a step back. This is not me or the Lord. This is you and your consequences. Um, but yeah, that's one of the biggest lies is, you know, well, this is God doing this to me. It's not. It's not. If it's not in his word, he's not doing it to you. You know, it's he's the good father. You know, in Matthew, it says that if you being evil, know to give your children good gifts. How, How much? much more, you know, your heavenly father. So I think that we really, when we go through situations, this isn't like, this is something that um, someone ministered to me. I did not want to receive it, but is good I did, is that you have to guard your mind and your spirit and your thoughts when you're going through a situation and hold tight to the word of God and his promises. And I know that's like, I'm already facing spiritual warfare, my goodness. Now I have to guard my mind on top of that too. It's like, yes, you don't have to do it alone. Get people that can pray for you, you know. We'd yeah. love to, you can call in, we'd love to pray and hold your hands up in a situation. You don't have to do it alone, you know. When Christ was on the cross, he took all of this upon him. You don't have to crawl up there and get all your sicknesses and your terrible situations off Amen. the cross. He's done it. You know, he's got it. You just have to walk in your faith, your promise, and stand sure in the word of God. I think it's very, it's good that we put the emphasis on the power of speech. Yeah. You know, there's, there's life and death in the tongue. You need to know that. The things you say to people, the things you say to yourself, how important that is. But we also need to understand the importance of thoughts. Mm -hmm. The enemy, the enemy loves to use thoughts against ourselves, from ourselves. Yes. And God is is so, God is so gracious and so merciful. He gave us the armor of God. And if we, I'm trying to get this out the best way I can, I feel it in my spirit. If we could just understand, so many of our battles begin in our mind. Yes. But they don't end there. They grow. They change. They evolve. This king is fighting a battle in his mind that's making him turn on God. And you can't let the enemy win in your mind. If he starts in your mind and you're like, this is such a small battlefield. If I give this one away, if I give place to these thoughts, if I give a spot to these thoughts, it isn't going to matter. God warns us of how much it really does matter. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're wondering about this, you can go to Ephesians and deep study the battle of the mind. We don't have time to go into that today, but this is, this is something I'm thankful we, we God's gave us the blueprints for. Uh, coming to a close. You can't kill a promise. Unbelievable book. Um, I think I've read it like three times. Uh, Mom and dad have written this. And if you go throughout the Bible and you see all the promises that the enemy has tried to kill, long as we stay on our part, just like Elisha said, you do this, God will do the rest. God, God lets us know you can't defeat him. God lets us know you can't kill his promises. So if you're battling some issues in your life, you're like, I really thought this was of God. Why is it dwindling? Why is it dying? Why is it going away? Understand, long as you do your part and you stay founded in this word, you cannot kill a promise. We're still giving these away free. Unbelievable. Thousands of them.
We, <laughs> the other night uh, on phone calls, I, I sent out four on Monday night. Really amazing phone calls coming in from the ministry. Thank you so much you partner and help us carry this load. God bless you. Oh, take a moment to like this and share this. God bless you. Thank you for joining Anthony Wynn Ministries. If you'd like to see more, join us for our Miracle Night Prayer Service. Miracle Night happens every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we join together in prayer and watch God move. If you'd like to participate in Miracle Night or join us for our other projects, you can follow us at Oasis Ministries on Facebook or follow us at Anthony Wynn on YouTube. We also want to say a special thank you to our partners of Anthony Wynn Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to give free ministry material to those in need. If you aren't already a partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a partner through our website at anthonywynn.org or calling 1-877-226-4088. And lastly, if you ever need prayer, please call us at one 877 226-4088 or go to our website at anthonywin.org. Thank you and God bless.